listen, folks, once John, once time has passed, the first half of that will be a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can really hear what happens uh, behind the scenes of Oscar bait today. Um, <laughs> there's plenty of things to complain about. You know, we're, we're a, Mattel is about to be running the current, like, 2023 movie going uh, word of mouth. You're not going to be hearing about this. You're going to be hearing about this fucking Barbie movie until the end of time. You're going to be hearing about Lady Gaga's The Joker, Lady Joker. It's going to be a. Uh, Is that her name, Lady Joker? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> in light of the uh, horrible movie things coming forward this year, we thought we'd invite someone on to talk about how spoiled we have been uh, getting two in one month from one of our favorites, Fun City Editions. And so we welcome back for the second time. Not a lot of people come back on the show. So. We don't want them back because we don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back to uh, Jonathan Hertzberg. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you for having me back and um, and deeming me, you know, worthwhile of the second <laughs> time. Second time lucky. That's right. We don't Fair. we don't call back. We ghost most of the it's time. Like, it's it's uh it's now you and Nick Pinkerton and some of the Chicago Film Society. Yeah. <laughs> Those that can hang, you know. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so we're at this in uh in the same month. We can talk uh we'll go we'll go first with Party Girl. Um mm. this was a this was a big one. It was very uh we both, you know, I mean, we always, I've told you this before, it's always a little geek fest mm-hmm. when we hear mm-hmm. announcements. Um, and we yeah. both flip shit about this one. Very excited, you know. Because anyone who's, I think anyone who's seen Party Girl always has a connection to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and especially if you were lucky enough to see it in your youth. Yeah. Very. I mean, it was funny because you released this, I think, like, the announcement it was like two days after just played it at the music box so was it that close I it, didn't was, realize that. it was like super close because yeah. our friend who put it on matt casing he was uh like the next day i, I was like take a look at this <laughs> yeah. he was so, glad okay good good yeah <laughs> well because we were like kind of bummed that night because we were shocked that it didn't have like i mean it did pretty well but we were like this was a big ass movie yeah like so now i think that I think you kind of ripped the door open for people to well, party girl again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 first of all, it's absolutely, I feel like so lucky and I feel so um, really honored and, and, and all that to be able to be, to have been able to, restore it and put it back out there because it is such a beloved film just for so many people. And like, I I knew obviously since it was something I was interested in and and I, this is something that was being thought about like five, six years ago, even when I was at Kino. And um, so it was a long time coming and I just feel lucky that it was still around when fun city was around and it was still available. And it's still shocking to me that it just hadn't, this hadn't been done before, that it hadn't been restored. But um, I still have been shocked by, or I've been surprised by, not that there was love for it, but I was, I've been surprised by how much there was for it. I've been surprised, in a, I mean, all in a good way for 
how much people respond, how important the movie is to them, how important Parker Posey is, and how how important, um, yeah, just just what the what the film is showing, the New York that it's portraying, that time period, and all that. It's been it's been like like I would say I if I'm in if I'm interested in re-releasing something, it's usually because I feel like it's good and there's demand for it. But I will say that any time like this or in some of the other cases in the past where we've had some films that sold really quickly or got really great response on social media, like I never I never am that sure of it that I'm gonna think it's gonna be like that. Like it's always it's always better. I, I always have I always feel like I have expectations that are realistic. And then it's because then it's obviously way better than the other way around when you are disappointed, when you think something's going to be um, much bigger than it ends up being. And I mean, that happens sometimes, too. But most of the time, like it's, it's more like this, where I knew it was good. I knew people liked it, but I didn't know it was this much. And it's probably our biggest it'll probably it's probably our biggest title so far. Like, That's great. Not, yeah. Not just in the response social media wise but also just an actual you know actual sales and pace of sales and everything so a thing right now that i think people are really into and that's uh as decades roll on there's going to be a lot of undiscovered or not even undiscovered but just kind of forgotten about slept on titles from the 90s mm -hmm. and you know party girl is a movie that is not a hard sell but it's one that i think a lot of people probably remember the VHS box for, mm -hmm. or more importantly, the soundtrack. Yeah. I remember that CD in like so many of my friends, like older sisters' bedrooms. Well, I was <laughs> what I was doing in there is, <laughs> but I they were. I remember that CD, and I remember yeah. thinking like, "Well, I need to know what this is." Well, also, well, the, 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 the movie was what? Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just gonna say that's that's why I heard of Bill Coleman was because of this movie. You know. So you 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 were familiar with Bill from from the movie only from this movie because I got oh. so obsessed with this movie you and did. just you know dug into everything I could. Well, he would love to he would love to hear that if he hears this he'll 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 be excited. Oh no, it was oh wow. Yeah, was a, this Bill. was one of those movies that really set me down quite a path. But you know, also it was it was widely it was avail it was released on video by Columbia TriStar originally, so. I remember the trailer being on the front of so many tapes at that time, back then, like anything that was from, you know, that 95, 96 period that was released on that label. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, the soundtrack. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that uh, everyone we talked to involved with the movie talked about how it didn't really, do that great theatrically it wasn't like a, they none of them remember it as being a big success um do you, know how much it made, do you know how much it made the box office i, I don't oh, i don't okay. i don't off the top of my head yeah, but but it you know obviously it 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 lived on and and then you know grew a huge audience from people that experienced it like a year or two or more later on 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 video and then yeah and then you just and then that just started that just snowballs over 
25 plus years. I mean, it's kind of crazy. This movie is almost 30 years old. You know, um, they made it almost 30 years ago because they made it in 93, 94. It came out in 95. So, yeah, it, the timing was right. I mean, I, I would say, obviously, you know, it was it was in it was something people were waiting for. And that's a that's part of the reason why that's part of the reason a big reason why I try to really find stuff that hasn't that hasn't come out before because I mean sometimes it hasn't come out and nobody knows what it is anyway like I don't know like heartbreakers or natural enemies or something like that but those are just awesome to do because again because they haven't come out before and it's just fun to be doing something for the first time and then something like this where it's like a beloved thing and it hasn't come out and when i say it hasn't come out i mean it hasn't come out in a in a decent version it's you know like basically blu-ray has been around for i don't know how many years at this point at least like 15 years or or, or close to that right and so it's pretty the, the the format is pretty mature at this point so and then this movie came out on dvd very early in the dvd format so it's really been you know wanting for an updated home video release so, you know, those are, those are, that's really the sweet spot. You know, that, that's really, uh, that's really the combination that I'm looking for to really make, you know, make an impact. And then obviously other times we've had some other movies that are like our other movie this month, Breathless, which is a Blu-ray, like triple dip, I think at this point. And, uh, it, and it's done really well. Um, and I couldn't even the, get a copy of it. It was sold out. I was like, Jesus, he waited too long. Yeah, like, well, like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it was actually that, again, that was surprising to me too. I mean, all in a good way. It's all this sort of, I think, combination of goodwill for our label and then goodwill for and goodwill for the movie. Yeah, and um, even though it had come out before, um, from Shout Factory. You know, it was just a more of a basic release. There wasn't really anything um, on it, and except for the movie and I think the trailer. And I bought that like when it was right when it came out. Um, they also had put out around the same time Miami Blues, which is another film. It's from the same deal they must have made with MGM at the same time. It also went out of print. And both of those movies, were, you know, were pretty bare. Well, no, actually, I take it back. The Miami Blues one had some had some new interviews on it. But they went out of print from Shot Factory. And I actually really wanted Miami Blues also at the same time that we licensed Breathless. But Miami Blues, it, it turns out, had or, it was already taken. And it turns out it was MVD who got it here. And then oh, yeah. in the UK, um, uh, Radiance released yeah. Miami Blues. So we had Married to the Mob and Breathless in this package. And I was really hoping, like I said, to get Miami Blues. You know, th- these all, and you'll, there's, you know connections with, with these because they're all films released by Orion originally, and and in and in, in, in the case of Miami Blues and Married to the Mob, they're yeah. both Demi. Jonathan Demi productions, and Jonathan Demi was originally going to direct Miami Blues, but uh, he didn't. He, he had just shot Married to the Mob, and a lot of that, and they had they had uh, they had shot that in, partially in Miami, and then. Miami Blues was going to obviously be a Miami movie. He decided that to do something different. And that ended up, you know, but that ended up having Miami Blues ends up having a lot of the regular uh, Demi uh, collaborators. And and then you can sort of, and you can kind of feel, 
feel the demi in there. It feels in a lot of ways demi adjacent. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the category. Yeah. That's the Miami, that's the Miami Blues uh portion of the show, which we really have nothing to do with, except we love the I love the movie, but it's not yeah. a fun hey, That's a this is the section. This is the section could have could have been on could have been. Um, that's a little that's your little that's your little insider bit there. Um <laughs> yeah, and uh um because sometimes people will be like this would have been a great title for Fun City, and we're and we'll say you're right. Like chili scenes of winter, we would have loved to have done chili scenes of winter. We tried again; it was taken, and obviously now finally we can say publicly it's Criterion because their release just came out. The chili scenes of winter. So yeah, that was a, a total. That would have been a dream wish list title for us too. But I'm very happy that it's out in the edition that it's out, and it has the original 1979 theatrical ending that i was would have wanted to put on it if we had uh put out yeah. Julie's Twitter, so i'm just very glad that really? criterion did it because the previous twilight time release didn't have it and right. i was this very disappointed at the time i felt like it was a missed opportunity because you just you, you 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 sort of had that feeling that something like that wouldn't have another chance to to come out again so obviously we've seen that well obviously blu-ray home video did not die five years ago or 10 years ago or whenever it was supposed to the first or you know for the umpteenth time it's still alive and so, so much so that niche titles like chili scenes of winter and miami blues and breathless and married to the mob for that matter are being reissued again on blu-ray by multiple labels it's a golden <laughs> age. We got. We saw the other day. We were just talking about. We got OC and Stigs coming out. What the fuck? Who thought there? OC be a- and Stigs is coming out. And that has a of OC and Stigs. <laughs> and that hasn't come. Yeah, that's right. That's also Radiance. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's our man Fran. We love him. Um, yeah, big. You guys, shout out have, you guys should have him on the show sometime. Maybe you should. Yeah, we should. Yeah, because like you all. I mean, you all. You have a distri- Don't you have a dis- distribution partnership with them? Yes, yes. Okay. We have a we have like three Fun City UK titles cool. through uh through Radiance, Walking the Edge, Cutter's Way, and Married to the Mob. So our UK customers can get those movies over there without having to pay for the ridiculous shipping costs that affect all of us, you know, on either side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Well, that's 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 very cool that you guys are kind of partnering up because you're both of you all and Will and I talk about this all the time. You're we just kind of pay attention to what you all are doing most of the time. Like it's it's well, generally always an eyebrow raiser. I mean, yeah, like Will and I bond quite heavily over OC and Stigs. So this was <laughs> I, we were trying to both beat each other to it that morning to be like, <laughs> are you seeing that? <laughs> Well, it also lets me off the hook a little bit because that was one that is one of those titles that it's been recommended to us before. And it's not that we didn't. It wasn't, you know, it's been on it's been on lists of possible titles. It just didn't end up Uh happening. Well, there's you got Beyond Therapy. No one's going to put that out. So no, is that that also coming? Is that also coming from Radiance? Wait, is someone doing that? Well, you know, put out Beyond Therapy. Oh, Kino did. You know, put up Beyond Therapy. It's right, right over there. <laughs> it's right over there. 
take a look. Oh yeah, I have it. I forgot I bought now. <laughs> uh, um, well, I want to I want to dig into a little um cuz you know me. John John is not a special features guy as much as me, but uh, first off, let's just I love special features. John, I'm just an idiot. Like I'm a bare bones idiot. What am I do What am I doing here? You're doing work <laughs> for, me, for me to recognize literally 5 years later, I'll be like, I'm glad I watched that movie. I just wanted the movie, thank God. And then five years later, I'll be looking through and I'll be like, let's watch the special features. And then I'll be like, I should watch special features more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I will say the movie's the thing. Of course. Of yes. course. No arguing that. But I, I do, I do feel that, that a well, well produced, well chosen, well thought out extra feature, be it an interview with someone involved with the movie or a store historian commentary. I do feel that in a lot of, in a lot of cases that can really enrich the, your experience of the film uh, can really in some ways with, it's a difficult film or a film that sort of rewards repeat viewings that the I've had this, cause I've seen this with like people commenting you know, online, and and they said, "Look, I didn't really get that movie. wasn't totally feeling it." Then I watched the interviews, and it really kind of hit home for me in a way that it didn't when I just watched the movie. And now I'm going to watch the movie again, yeah. having seen the interview with the actor, with the directors, because for whatever reason, that crystallized things more. They had more of an understanding of what the movie was trying to do. And anyway. Well, John, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll, be, well, you'll be happy to know I did do that automatically for Natural Enemies and um, Heartbreakers. Good. Oh, great. Because I mean, those were real labors of love. I mean, I really, I, yeah. really was really looking forward to and very proud of the putting those things together that we did. The interviews with Bobby Roth and with Jeff Canoe and then like the deleted scenes alternate endings and all that stuff was like really you know I, I honestly feel like without those things i mean there's there's a lot that needs i i it's not to say these movies are like hard art movies but they leave they do they do leave you at in in some ways in a good way wanting to know more i think i think people want to know like wow heartbreakers man that's such a it's like a such a left field you know it's released by studio but it's a very left field kind of movie it's obviously you feel like it's a really personal movie it has that kind of feel even without seeing the interview with bob with bobby but then you see the interview and you get the real backstory i don't know and i just felt like without that like back in the day if that had come out on dvd from mgm it would have just oh. been the movie and the trailer and nothing else totally. and there's just such cool backstory on that just about how much of it as much as bobby's like no, it's not all about me. It is, you know, and it, and right. I don't know. I, I found it again. I'm really close to these movies. I'm 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 obviously biased, but yeah. but talking to Jeff Canoe about Natural Enemies, we just had so much good stuff. The guy's such a good storyteller that I was just like, okay, this is going to be a two part interview because because we had the whole pre because there was so much great stuff pre Natural Enemies. Just has such a fascinating career. Because he, the way he came to making films, you know, oh, going from cutting yeah. trailers. And I think that kind of stuff 
is, well, it's important because it illustrates how there's no straight line. There's no one way that people do it in this business in terms of how people get to be this or that or the other thing. You know, it's not just like I go to film school and I graduate and then I'm a filmmaker or suddenly I like me and the like being in film, the getting into film distribution. Like it's just shit that it's stuff that nobody you don't really learn about in school and it's not and it's uh, and, and it doesn't follow a straight path. And so I just feel like being able to talk to a guy like him and get this get the story was just almost to me it was as interesting as the movie itself. All the stuff that Jeff talked about. I didn't like, I just knew of the movie mostly because of the association, the people who worked on it, you know, Klaus Schultz, Bauhaus. So I was like, this is cool. I've never find a copy of this, but one day I will, I'm sure. And then lo and behold, this odd, odd fucking movie out of nowhere that just like, I I was just in love with it afterwards. I was like, this is great. This is a great movie. It's kind of like one of those movies you're like, oh, this, this hits that itch. Of that kind of movie I've been looking for. Totally, I felt that way too. I came to it actually pretty pretty late myself, and uh, it was a pandemic watch. I had the I had the Tangerine Dream soundtrack. I had that on vinyl like years ago. I've Still told this story before. I found it for three bucks, and I was I love Tangerine Dream, and I have like every other soundtrack uh, from that era. So, and I looked at the back, and I remember looking at the pictures. It's a ter- it's got a terrible cover. If you ever see the Heartbreakers soundtrack, it's awful. And, uh, <laughs> but the back has pictures from the movie. And for whatever reason, I was like, I don't know. Kind of looks. I I just had a. It just read. It didn't. It, it didn't sell it for me. I just thought this looks a little corny or something to me. And then I. But I had the soundtrack. And then years later, year years later, I was talking to uh, to 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 my friend and 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 sometime Fun City collaborator Chris O'Neill um on on uh on messenger and he we were we were taught it was during shutdown it was like in the it was in like the spring of 2020 and he was like you ever think about this movie heartbreakers it's a movie that was really formative for me that i saw you know when i was like in my teenage years and kind of like finding weird watching weird obscure stuff and i was like yeah i know the movie because i know the soundtrack Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, but I had never watched it, so he sent me a, a a rip of it, and I didn't know what quite what to. I don't. I wasn't totally hundred percent on board with it, but I knew I liked it, and I was like, "This is a fun city. This does seem like it should be a fun city movie." And and again, a lot of that had to do with the well, the weirdness of it, the the sort of that left of center kind of like, how did this thing? get made feel of it it's very much an orion kind of movie i guess in that way and that's so much, a lot of so much of the stuff they released was like that was sort of off off hollywood you know in a good way but then yeah. just such a great la movie and the michael ballhouse cinematography and the tangerine dream music and it's got this european feel to it even though it's a movie made in la you know it's a holly it's made in hollywood but it's very feels very much like one of those relationship dramas that you would see, uh, you know, obviously like the French, you know, basically just, you know, spitting them out Absolutely. Um, in that lead up to, you know, in that seventies 
well, 60s, 70s, and early and early 80s lead up to Heartbreakers. And of course, and then lo and behold, you know, Bobby Roth cited the 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 Blier films like Going Places and Get Out Your Handkerchiefs as 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 big inspirations for Heartbreakers. It's pretty you cool. Can you can tell too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you get so Catherine Harold in it, so you know, no one's gonna Catherine Harold and Carol Lore, and the fact that he has Carol Lore and Carol Lore was in one of those Blie films, exactly. It's a yep. pretty cool connection, and he tells a great story on the interview. One of my favorite things is the story he tells about how he went to France to do screen tests with French actresses, and he was sent by himself. There was no no budget, so he was oh, doing. I do it too. He was like. I'm the guy who's greeting them at the door, giving them water, and then I'm the one reading with them. And he talks about all the actresses. There were all these great actresses that wanted to be in it from, you know, French powerhouse actresses of that time. But like they didn't have the they didn't have the English. They didn't their English wasn't good enough, basically. And then he ends up with Carol Lore, and then he didn't even realize that Carol Lore is actually French Canadian, not Parisian, because <laughs> the character is supposed to be yeah uh, from paris so it all worked out and then it's got this weird then weirdly it's an american film but then it's got this canadian vibe because nick mancuso is canadian and carol laura is canadian and then of course they're friend they were friends and they worked together like before and since heartbreakers so that's wild really yeah so a hollywood movie but with lots of lots of international flavor to it yeah plus another movie with Catherine harold dealing with weird uh you know men child children in la <laughs> yes <laughs> so true so true <laughs> yeah because this was a few years after modern romance yeah yeah she's yeah. great she's so under she's still still oh, such an underrated actress and um yeah, totally and, and and she doesn't act anymore she's a therapist now so oh, shit. so yeah film's lost but Hmm. But mental health's gain. <laughs> well, she's such a natural. I mean, you see her in anything. Like, she doesn't... I mean, this is, like, such a hack thing to say, but it's just, like, I don't really see that acting with her. She does come off as, like, a non-actor almost. Like, she just kind of gets plopped into these movies and just makes a splash by not overselling anything. She just comes off very humane. When 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 they're seen, there's, a, there's like, the breakup scene with... At the beginning, Peter Coyote. That's some powerful, powerful shit. Like she, yeah, she, she when she yelled that scene where like when she really yells at him, like, oh, yeah. it really, it, yeah, like, you really feel it. Like you feel like these people, they're feeling the, they're both feeling the hurt. Like like you said, it sort of to me feels like not necessarily non acting, but that they're that they have a relationship or had this relationship. I know they didn't really. They they are really acting, but it, yeah, it feels very between her the the delivery and the writing. It it it, it does feel just very raw in a in a in a in a, um you know in a, in an effective way. It was upsetting. I mean, I was like, that's one of the most effective breakup scenes I've ever seen. In yeah. a movie. like yeah, and then I and then like it's like yeah, and then it's like a movie that has like it has like not only it not only has you know, heterosexual men and women breakup scenes, but then also, then also guy buddies, you know, breakup scenes, you know, the, the same hilarious guy. scene. Yeah. Uh, 
It's great. It, it's it, which it, one we're talking about? Which, the which, one in the diner at the, the end. Different. Yeah, at the end because it yeah, tips yeah. the line for almost going into ridiculousness, but it doesn't. It it yeah. somehow just walks that tightrope. That was that was something where I had to watch it a few times before I kind of was like, okay, I'm I'm into it. It didn't. I have to admit, it didn't totally work for me the first time I watched it. Yeah. And uh, and, and when I talked to Peter Coyote, he was kind of like, "What'd you think of that ending?" Because he's not totally. He wasn't totally into it. Um, and uh, you know, in that he felt, I guess. And again, this is like 35 years later, but he felt uh, that uh, that he had a hard time with the character because he breaks down and cries. And yeah, I think he part of it was I think he didn't like his performance because he sort of felt like he was forcing the uh, the the blubbering, the crying because he's, you know, which you can kind of watch and be it is. It is sort of sad and funny at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I mean. I think that's that ridiculousness. It is. Overly that's also amazing. what that. That's what that shit is like when me and me and John's biggest fights look exactly like that scene. Yeah, Will cries. <laughs> and if I anyone stayed, was well, watching, they'd be laughing well, more than they'd be feeling bad. Well, yeah, well, I stay eating my food too. I just don't even move when he, <laughs> I'm like, you can pass me the Tabasco, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't let good. You can't let that good good food go to waste. Yeah, not for him. Like, yeah, <laughs> but but Bobby talked about in our interview how that scene that that scene that moment happened to him in real life, and he was the one. He was the one. He was in the Peter Coyote uh, position, and mm-hmm. um, that was like what was the what was sort of the uh, the impetus to write the screenplay. So he said he wrote it backwards from that. Oh, how does, how does it get to that? How does it get to that scene at the end? So he had the ending first, and then he went backwards. That's an interesting way of just to almost like read the movie. Like now I kind of want to watch it again, thinking about it that way, because it does come, it clearly comes from a personal place. Like this story, like it just hits too close to home for it to be, right. You know, just some bullshit. So. Right. I didn't think we'd be talking a lot about heartbreakers today, but this is. Hey man, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to sell heartbreakers. It's still. (laughs) We are happy to help. We it's still, it, it, it is unfortunately still not really a, it just, it didn't quite capture the uh, public's imagination, our public's imagination, like, like Breathless and Married to the Mob and Cutter's Way, which is funny because again, those are the, those are the movies that have already come out before and are better known. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and Heartbreakers hasn't at all. So, and I think we, I think we did a, it is like, one of my favorite all around packages of any thing. We've oh, it's done. great. And you're oh. even, you're even very kind with your, uh, the Easter eggs on that one. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's some good, there are some good Easter eggs on there. <laughs> True. That was a fun, that was fun. Yeah. To do. Yeah. Well, well Bob, yeah. yeah, Bobby found some cool shit. He found some cool stuff for us. Like the, the scenes, all those, um, all those outtakes, the, oh, yeah. you know, which is like all of Nick Mancuso's part basically. Cause that's it, all stuff that, from his reel that was cut basically there was other stuff but he couldn't find it i guess because there was originally another there was a part of the ending where there was more of a reconciliation with um the carol lori character and the nick mancuso character and i think um more uh, more of a like the the peter coyote character has more of a um a, a sort of like a symbolic break with the 
I guess a scene where he kind of has a break from what his previous artwork was and he's going to do something new. Oh, he had like the moment with the with all the sort of bondage, um, you know, drawings. And now he's going to go in a different direction. But that stuff, I, I don't we couldn't he we didn't have or he didn't have that 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 footage anymore. Wow. Still cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff that he dug up. So well, to, to those listening, do not listen. What's cool about Heartbreakers in this stacked collection is that it it can be that hidden that hidden gem in there. When you turn out so much heat, you know there's obviously going to be one thing that gets that people just skip over. But we're telling you, go back, get the Heartbreakers, watch that shit, get your male ego reduced. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not envying your having to edit this shit together. <laughs> Don't worry. All this is blocked off. So I'm. Let's see. Start. Now we're stuck. It's a good challenge for him. Yep. Yeah. So we're starting <laughs> the podcast back. Let me start. What are we at? And well, and welcome to the show. And welcome back to the show. After. <laughs> we can't help it. We just want to keep. This is the. We're talking shop. This is the talking shop hour. But you don't get to hear it. So. So I do have to call out one. It's a callback to the last time you were on. And I know we probably shouldn't have to bring him up every time, but I got to. But our boy Jack Nietzsche, back in the house again, yes. almost was breathless. <laughs> almost. Because and then right. I, oh, we talked about all we talked about the problem the problematic Jack Nietzsche. Yes. We yes. did. We did. But I didn't yeah. even realize all the times I've seen Breathless, it wasn't until I was digging into your your disc. I didn't even realize that that score was originally him, and then uh, and then they thought it was a bit too somber in the end. Yeah, but actually, the stuff that's in there of his oh, is really good. It's yeah, so beautiful. Uh, and did you um, and and you know when you notice we put the isolated music on there because because I I had access I had the I had the uh, the DME tracks isolated, so the music was there. And I just think this is such a great music movie, um, period. Like, between having whatever Jack Nietzsche score is left, then you have the Philip Glass material, which they actually completely re-recorded and rearranged and did different things to, so much so that Philip Glass, I guess, got pissed off in pseudo-Ryan. So, (laughs) but I actually really like you know what they did and they did that because of their you know because of the because the jack nietzsche score wasn't working for them in full so they they had to go that's why they went back to the eno and frip tracks the eno tracks the philip glass reworking of openings from glassworks which which uh pianist named roger kellaway who's also a composer you could see his name on other films I think he did the music for uh, the um, that shitty movie with Clint Howard, um, where he's the lead. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the horror. That's so good. Ice like cream a- man. man. No, this is earlier from the early eighties. The one, the one where he gets like possessed by the devil. Will you got this? Oh, with the, oh, uh, when he's the kid possessed by the computer. Where's yeah, the it's a big cult. It's a cult movie. Oh wow. I've shown that fucking damn movie in Denver. He's, he's obs- com- 
my brain it'll come back but yeah he gets possessed by satan through the computer yeah, it's a dumb movie, but apparently, uh, apparently, Roger Calloway did the music for that. I mean, Roger <laughs> Calloway does the rescore. He's the one who did all the cool. He did all the stuff with the Philip Glass. So a lot of people over the years thought that was Jack Nietzsche. It was not Jack Nietzsche. That was after Jack Nietzsche was essentially fired, or they said, "We're you know, you've done what you've done, and that's it." Then they brought Rod, then they brought Roger Calloway in to do what he did with the Philip Glass piece, and he sort of turns it into this theme for Valerie Kaprisky's character. He adds like French, he adds accordions and things and make it kind of Frenchy. And, but then there's some great stuff that remains of the Jack Nietzsche music, especially whenever there's a bunch of driving scenes that have this theme that I really like, which I, after when I was syncing the audio on the movie, I got to know the sound so well that I know all the, all the real changes and all of the, the whole dialogue, everything, but basically by heart now because of how many times I watched the movie and with the sound, with various iterations of the sound playing. So I really know the, the sound, the music really well too. So the Jack Nietzsche score that plays, like whenever uh, Richard Gere is driving with Valerie Kaprisky, there's a couple scenes. This is an instrumental piece that plays about three times in the movie what, it's sort of like Jesse's theme. It's basically the music that's his theme song. And if you listen to it, and if you're as big a dork as I am for the Jack Nietzsche stuff and just film score material in general, I hear a lot of parallels with the music that he had just done for Richard Gere a year before on An Officer and a Gentleman, because he has a very kind of guitar-driven theme, which is if you, you know, which is the same thematic material that was used for up where we belong that's like the pop song version of it yeah. if you watch the movie it's instrument the instrumental version is kind of like his character's theme and in this movie it's a similar thing and it sounds kind of similar to that and also a little similar to born to run like it's quoting springsteen's born to run a little i'm telling you if you listen to it again, watch it again you won't be able to you'll hear it <laughs> you'll hear it um but that's jack nietzsche because jack nietzsche is like a pop guy, classical yeah. guy. He's a rock guy. It, he wears many hats. Yeah. So it all comes through in the music, and then and then all the other tracks they picked on this soundtrack, oh. the Dexys Midnight Runners, Jerry Lee Lewis, the X. Willie DeVille, yeah. the the Link Ray, X. Oh, Link Ray, the Link Ray, the X at the yeah. end there is great. The Pretenders, King Sunny Day. You just yeah. you know all the Eno and Fripp. Like it has music from. He knows music for films. It has music from Evening Star, the you know Frip record, and that music is so beautifully used in all the Silver Surfer. Every time he's looking at the Silver Surfer comic, comic that music comes in, and it's just beautiful. And especially in the scene when he is explaining to Valerie Kaprisky what the Silver Surfer, who the Silver Surfer is, and you know she's like, "Who's that?" And he's like, "Who's that?" And then they start reading, you know, he reads a line from the comic. It's so beautiful. She, it's, it's really, I tell you, um, if you think Richard Gere's character in that movie up and, you know, he's overall, he's a goofball, he's a doofus, he's a, you know, scumbag, whatever, uh, a ne'er-do-well. But there's moments of real, I think, real earnest emotion and feeling in that character. And it is in that scene when he's telling her about the silver surfer and you, you're sort of understanding how 
he sees him a parallel to his situation. But Earth. it's like he only becomes human when he's confronted with the Silver Surfer. Like that hilarious scene with the kid being like, "Silver Surfer sucks." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And then, and then, and then he said, and that's where the kid sort of it becomes very obvious that like the Silver Surfer situation is 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 analogous to Richard Gears in the movie because he's saying he could leave anytime he wants and he's hanging around. And then I love he, that he comes back to bother. He's him coming him. back to tell him more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he's that's where Richard Gere has that's where Jesse, where his character Jesse has that. He, 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 that's the moment where he could have. He's like, I think you hear him say, like, yeah, maybe I will leave. Because that's yeah. the night that Valerie Kaprisky is with Bill Tepper, the playing the the professor, her <laughs> professor. Yeah, and Richard Gere, and Jesse's by himself. And in that scene at the newsstand, there's a beautiful Jack Nietzsche cue, which now, if you watch the Blu-ray. With the isolated score, you can hear that cue by itself. And it's really, really gorgeous. Like the yeah. little bits that's left of his music in the movie is 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 really worthwhile. Yeah, it really is. And there's so many little bits that are worthwhile. Bruce Valanche in the in the stall. Oh gosh, yeah, oh. yeah. Occupado. Oh yeah, that's that the best part. I, so I, funny. I know I yelled that to my partner when we were watching. I was like, you gotta come back in here and just hear Yeah. Oh man. I mean, as I, I've watched the movie so many times, it's like, it's like I said, I get so close to these movies because I'm like doing the, I'm editing the interviews and, um, you know, really watching these movies over and over again. So you really start to know them better. I probably know it better in a lot of ways than Jim McBride does at this point. And cause yeah, it's probably seen it more times. years ago yeah. and, and, you know, and you have to be a little obsessive to do, you know, what we're doing here. And so, yeah, so many of those lines, there's so many, all those characters, like just, just having like uh, um, uh, Miguel Pinheiro in that scene also, oh, yeah. where he's like, you know, when he's like <laughs> saying to him, when he's like, shut a cop, man, yeah. shut a cop. <laughs> he's like, I- I'll give you a bus pass. You know, it's good for the month. <laughs> And and um, Art Matrano in the, oh, in the yeah. as the as the as the car thief. Oh, you know, where, he, where he keeps like repeating, where he keeps repeating, repeating uh, Jesse's uh, alias, like yes, Mister Burns, no, Mister Burns. I mean, and in way he's like sucking on that. Um, he's got that. He's got that like. Uh, um, Ice cream pop or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like like so. It's it's so on the nose, and it's the ridiculous hat that he's wearing with like a. a, I don't know if it's got like an eagle on it or something, and it's just like so. And his name is Burnbaum. I said he's just like, he's just like the you know as as and as a Jew I can say this. It's just like the he's just playing like the the slimiest like the just stereotypical uh you know shyster jew uh-huh. character like it's like it's just but it's just funny it's so over the top like oh you're gonna call him burnbaum on top of all that <laughs> yeah. and i will say this to uh to you know maybe i'm talking to my younger self but to anyone out there if you're in that age or something we're like because i remember you know you're young you're a new young film person you're like fuck 60s godard oh my god like wow well you realize later that shit it rocks but then it's like yeah you should check out 80s godard but then it's like i started thinking back when i was younger it was like 
well, I don't want to see the 80s pop version of Breathless. This is like high school, but it's like, what would I get? Same here. Oh, same here. Yeah. And then you let that go as you get older and you see this movie and I mean, still to this day, I I prefer it to the to the fucking original. It's it's a kind of it's a masterpiece. Well, you know, you know, it's been kind of what well, I think what's been held against this movie for so long is a couple of things. It's that it's the it's that whole that sacrilege of remaking Breathless, of remaking Godard. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it's the it's Richard it's Richard Gere. And and people's image and impression of Richard Gere, especially from after Breathless, from basically his post Pretty Woman career, when when he became a rom com guy for for quite a while, and it made people forget, it made people forget that early earlier in his career, and not even that much earlier. Like if you even look at something like Internal Affairs, where he's playing like the most villainous character he ever played. Darkest yeah. guy he ever played. Oh, but sure. earlier, earlier in his career, he played all sorts of really edgy, very, very. Now we can say problematic characters in 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 part, and just but not romantic, not yeah. tra- not romantic lead guys. Like he was playing against the he had the sex appeal, but and and he's and he is fucking burning up the screen and. American Gigolo, Officer and a Gentleman, and in this movie, Breathless. But they're so far away from the later, you know, Julia Roberts and whatever, whoever else he was right. paired with. And he's not running his thumb over his finger like Belmondo. You know, he's a cool, he's, he's not as cool as Belmondo. It's like, cooler than Belmondo. Cool. He's, he's, he's great <laughs> in movie and you can't, wait, what would you say? He's cooler than Belmondo. So. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, but you know, but but you have the idea of Belmondo, that character is like that's the coolest sure. character. But like cool. you know, he plays Richard Gear plays his character kind of ridiculous. But it yeah, oh he's ridiculous. Yeah, and he it, is. It, it's, it's perfect it's, because but it's it, funny. It's so funny. The dread, the trying to be cool is what's so a great way to kind of to almost undo the original Breathless because he's dressing like Elvis, which couldn't be more uncool for like that time in the eighties. But then at the same time, man, I think yeah. he looked. But now I'm like when he when he gets that good. second out when he goes to the second hand place and he gets the oh yeah he gets the pants and he gets the bowling shirt oh yeah he does, yeah. Look, he does look cool I think I think I, the yeah. first I think the first outfit like the powder blue and the really loud <laughs> red like that's yeah that's a little more uh that that's 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 a little more yes more more ridiculous more extreme but yeah. once he once he switches over to the second outfit. I'm like, yeah, it's vintage, but I think it's actually pretty. Like, you look at it now, he pulls it off. Yeah. Oh, he looks yeah. cooler than that. Yeah, but I'm just the way we're introduced to him yes. is yeah. like yeah. different. Yeah, and also, and the way he's like, uh, he, he he like right from the beginning, he does all sorts of weird. Like, he's a guy who talks to himself and like sings to himself and squeals to himself, <laughs> and I just find it hilarious. Like, again, I watched these movies, like all of these movies. That I just mentioned, I, I, I'm when I said before about Breathless having, I feel like people holding those things against Breathless. I did, like, I totally was like, not into uh, watching a Richard Gere movie and like my teenage years in the '90s. Like, I did, so I didn't watch this movie then, even though if I hadn't, I would have, I would have really dug it. I'm uh-huh. pretty sure, but I didn't see it until you know until several years later. 
and after I'd seen it was you know after I had seen the 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 Godard version but I I feel like um I feel like he's still kind of like I still have to you still not so much now I think he's kind of I think more people have come around to these movies but I definitely found myself for a while sort of preaching gear like being like oh man watching even an officer and a gentleman man it is not just a chick flick or whatever oh, you think it is it's way more way it's it's way more it's way more edgy class conscious kind of it's a i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a big hollywood romance in so many ways but it's a way it's a way darker movie than i think people uh realize or, I, I i would agree i i actually quite like the movie do i'm you, a big fan yeah do, do you think we're at a certain stage with okay for Breathless to become the movie that it is now, I mean, how much do you really think that Quentin had in part for that? Because he kind of is influenced by it with his script for True Romance. That seems obvious. There's the scene right. in Pulp Fiction with the Bruce Willis character seems an obvious reference to. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the obvious ones. And then just but just in general, just to, like he, there's that clip we found that I I posted on Twitter. I didn't find it, but. You know, from a, I think a BBC, I think it's from like a 90s BBC documentary or something that was on Tarantino, like post uh, around the time of Pulp Fiction or, or, or Jackie Brown, where he, where he, where he articulates how much Breathless inspired him, this, this Breathless. And it's a really good clip where he's just like, you know, people were talking about comic books and, Rock and roll. They weren't necessarily talking about movies, but they were talking about these things that I love referencing these things. And, you know, and like that was revelat rep that was what was revelatory to him. I think so. Like, obviously, yeah, that when you compare it to True Romance and you sort of say, okay, you've got Jerry Lee Lewis in this movie, you got Elvis in that movie, you've got the you've got the lover, you've got the sort of, you know, lovers on the run thing happening. I mean, there's obvious parallels, but then I just think more broadly speaking breathless feels very influential for just for what it's just just in that way in terms of being like this pop culture every scene is just whether it's something someone's wearing or something in the set design or the sound something playing on the soundtrack or in the dialogue specifically or fucking showing a frame from a comic book like there's just like the thing is just oozing pop culture uh reverence and references Absolutely, but in a smart way. Never in like, doesn't in such a like meaty yeah. way. Like it's it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it feels like the way they worked, and I think that's a lot. We haven't mentioned Kit Carson writing the screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Kit, like Jim McBride said that the Silver Surfer, that whole thing, that was all. He said that was all Kit Carson. So I think a lot of it is Kit Carson's, um, his his uh, ability, his knowledge, and his love of a lot of this this pop culture ephemera you know whatever just but the, but the idea you know what it is that i love about this movie is that it's not just film literate it's it's music literate it's com yeah. it's comic book literate but then also the faulkner stuff the you know references and then Wild hilarious, yeah. fucking hilarious way it's so good <laughs> I was wondering. Is, that some guy, is that some guy you fucked yeah that's amazing <laughs> yeah. By, yeah, William Faulkner. I mean, I was wondering if that was another little reference to like the French New Wave, because that was like, I think Agnes Varda's first movie was adapting the Wild Palms. Yep. 
So I yeah, wonder- and actually, it's funny you mentioned Varda because in my conversation with Jim McBride, I learned that uh, Anya's Varda and Jim McBride were friends, and they used to hang out when she lived in L.A. And he told me he used to hang out with. So we were talking. We were talking. I was talking to him about the murals because I said how you have the, all the scenes in Venice with the murals, and then you know earlier uh, Varda had made the documentary showcasing a lot of the same murals in Venice and then the artists who had created them. And he talked about that. He knew that. And then when he told me, oh yeah, we were friends. And uh, I was just like, this is, the more you talk to McBride, even Philip Glass, I talked to him about Philip Glass. I'm like, you know, and then Philip Glass sued. And he's like, he sued. I didn't remember that. He was my friend. (laughs) He he lived oh. in my he lived in my apartment in New York after I went out to L.A. Uh, so it's so funny. He's just one of those he's one of those guys like a Zelig kind of figure yeah. that was that knew and was friendly with all of these notables. But he's never like he's not name dropping in any way. He's yeah. not he just sort of comes out when you talk to him. Like we interviewed when in the interview with McBride on the blue on the Breathless Blu-ray, he talks about how. He, Richard Gere wasn't into Jim McBride as a director. Nope, you know, because Jim McBride a, hadn't directed any real movies. Not a fan of David Holtzman. No. So, yeah, or Glenn and Randa, or, yeah. you know, um, what the arch, what's the, uh, the Archie, uh, the sort of spoof they did, the Hot Times or whatever it's called. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, he said that with, so like with uh, when in that casting process, first of all, De Niro was like leaving them on the line for a long time about whether he was going to wanted to play Jesse or not. Mm-hmm. And eventually he said, like, I had to call Scorsese, who was his friend, <laughs> and say, can you just tell Bob to say no? Just tell us no, because because the studio wouldn't move like wouldn't move on to like other casting possibilities until there was a firm yes or no from De Niro. So, so in that case, you know, he's talking about Scorsese helping him out. Then later on, when he was trying to get Gear to accept him as director, he called Paul Schrader, his friend Paul Schrader, because Paul had done American Gigolo. So, yeah. Anyway, so McBride had he had he had uh, people to reach out to. He had uh, he had relationships with all these people, which is really cool. Like the Varda one, just I think is so cool because I love the the way he uses the murals. Yeah, in, in that in that sequence in in that sort of prolonged chase sequence uh-huh. in Venice Beach, it's just so they're just ingeniously the way it's just like one shot after another are these characters moving across these really wide like building sized murals, uh-huh. and, and just the fact that you know the only other movie that I know of that has that. The only other, you know, film that showed that stuff was 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 Varda. So then when he's just like offhandedly like, yeah, we used to hang out when she lived in L.A., you know, it was like, I, oh, I see I'd be, I'd see her being a fan of David Holtzman's diary. I think she probably dug that. I mean, it's probably like he knew all these people because of that movie. I mean, obviously, oh, I'm sure no, yeah, right. that's, that's... was like that movie changed my life. And, you know, I mean, no, absolutely. You're right. There, there's definitely a lot of currency from from uh, uh, from that movie. And even if it even if uh, it 
still didn't really help them to get, you know, breathless made because it was this huge, long uh, journey from uh, pre-production to production. And, and there's a really good film comment uh, article. It was a diary. They printed, they they when the movie, when Breathless came out in 1983, film comment reprinted uh, Kit Carson's diaries about from like the mid 70s. I mean, it's excerpted, but from the mid 70s to the early 80s, all the sort of ups and downs that they experienced trying to write Breathless, get it developed, and then going from like one studio to another, to another director to another, like Michael Mann almost directed this movie. Frank Rodham almost directed this movie. It was at Universal. It was at Paramount. And then it ended up at Orion. And, um, and, and Glenn Kenny references this in the, in the audio commentary on the disc too. He uses some good primary sources like the Kit Carson diaries. And, um, but the one thing that was really interesting, one thing I found really interesting, going back to what we're talking about Gear's performance in this movie, and just like how much he's, just how all in he is in this movie. And he was really all in, even in the development. When Once he was on board and Jim McBride and, and Kit Carson were all a team, they all went through and reworked the screenplay leading up to the production, the leading up to shooting. And Gear was involved in all, like in all of it. He was a collaborator, and they only had good things to say about him in that sense. They said it was like a really, you know, McBride said it was a really productive, sort of three-way collaboration. And hmm. he said that um, he goes a few days. This was in Carson's diaries. He's like, I started, I start noting a change in Gear. Uh, he's starting to talk a little bit different. I can tell this is his method for like he's starting to turn into Jesse like we're seeing him kind of <laughs> he's gearing up he's changing you know that was really weak sorry um, but he's, that's not, that's support, not brand. Support. but yeah. he's 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 basically like in the in the sort of transformation process before our eyes getting ready to play this character because he's such a departure from the real guy and yeah, I just thought that was really interesting how he's like I'm starting to notice a difference in in his um you know, like his mannerisms maybe and his speech pattern and stuff. And I can see that it's, I'm starting to see, we're starting to see the Jesse come to the surface. I wonder if Carson's influence, now that you say that, now I'm wondering, well, now I can kind of see where maybe he might've had an influence on the performance because it certainly isn't that far off from certain performances in uh, like Texas Chainsaw 2. You know what I mean? These kind of like over-the-top performances where you're just like, these characters are, uh, you can't take your eyes away, but they seem unhinged. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, and what? And that's the thing, like, that's such a, like, such a an interesting couple of credits there, you know, that he has. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Breathless. <laughs> and in a way, even though, and like, even though, Texas Chainsaw is not a remake. Texas Chainsaw 2 is not a remake. Yeah. It's a sequel. In a similar way, though, he's he is sort of taking on a beloved property, like something <laughs> that would be like, how fucking dare you make a canon sequel, you know, to, to a canonical. Yeah. You're making a fucking movie at canon, you know, of Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Low-budget movies that change the shape of cinema forever He's like, <laughs> let me get in there. Let me, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> so because first, like so yeah. first Breathless yeah. and then Texas Chainsaw. Although Texas Chainsaw 2, to be fair, is actually directed by Toby Hooper, right? Totally. But So it's not exactly like, it's not exactly apples to apples. But the other interesting thing, though, is all the stories about Godard. He didn't give a shit, like, about as far as anyone remaking um, Breathless. Like, McBride tells the story, like, it was just very, as you would expect. You kind of would expect Godard to just sort of be like, yeah, like, whatever. Like, you know, like, here's the, here, you know, he got paid or whatever, and, uh, and that was it. And he said there was a, there was some kind of kerfluffle where, like, the producer, original producer of Breathless had, like, remake rights or something well he said he said i just what watched it right before we started he said okay. Godard sold it to him for this movie for like 25 grand or something and then it took so long because that's when like michael mann was going to do it and then mm -hmm. other people were going to do it and then by mm -hmm. the time he got back to be at mcbride to do it they go back to to godard and he'd also sold it to two other people <laughs> oh right right and one of and he said like one of them was the producer of breathless and he made yeah. some he made something that was maybe called Breathless 2, but it was it had absolutely nothing to do with it. was right? uh, Numero was Deux, the one yeah, where yeah, he, like, shows, just, he just shows TV screens of people pooping and like and parents <laughs> being like, here kids, watch how we fuck. You should learn. It's like this is Breathless <laughs> 2. <laughs> and I think he did well, it again with yeah, he did wow. it again, I think, with Every Man for Himself. Like, was like, this is my sequel to Breathless. Yeah. We love that, man. Well, Jonathan, we've kept <laughs> you here long enough. Uh, <laughs> I think that we've we've hit a, uh, some really fun stuff today. Um, <laughs> just, just a reminder, uh, Party Girl, still out there for all you... You party girl heads. I mean, Breathless back, back in stock soon for people like John who missed it. Breathless, Breathless back yes. In fact, actually, I think Breathless, it might be up. It might even be up on Amazon and other. I think it's up on other um, okay. other sites, too. You don't necessarily. It's not only available at VinegarSyndrome.com. Yep. Party Girl, we still have copies direct from Fun City Editions. The limited edition slipcover version of Party Girl is still available. Uh, I, I'm personally, you can see behind me right here, the staging area. <laughs> and I am personally packing and shipping copies of Party Girl from my apartment. So you can still order that we still have we still have a hundred something copies left. So it's and there's not gonna be any more of the limited edition slipcover, beautiful slip art by by Jess Rodder. So they're gonna be gone after this. We're not reprinting more slipcovers. I have the last remaining ones here because MVD, who's distributing our product they've already sent all of their allotted amount out to retailers so the only place you can get the limited edition party girl is direct from fun city editions that you heard it here and i'll tell you yellow jackets heads out there date that's there's your there it is taking it all the way back to party girl there you go <laughs> you know that she she does she's directed a couple episodes of this show. she's a rock star uh, daisy yeah. daisy was such a pleasure to work with on party girl really as far as filmmakers uh, go that I've worked with, just the most easygoing, most giving, most, she just loves that Party Girl is back out there again. And she gave, I mean, saw the interview with her on the disc. 
she's great. She gave us such good stories, so many good memories. Yeah. All sorts of really cool visuals from her scrapbook that she's kept for 30 something years. Yeah. Big, big, big fan of uh, Daisy. And yeah, amazing. She's such a, she's had such, she talks about in the interview. I know we have to go, but in the interview, she says, I was in movie jail. Like I had too many unsuccessful movies, feature move, feature length narrative films that I had to go to TV. And then of course, now, of course, now she's like a TV. Now she's a rock star of directing long form uh, TV. Like yeah. she's, she, she went in, I guess, when it wasn't so fashionable, but now it is. And, and she's riding high. So um, we love to see it now. Uh, well, well, I got a shout out real quick to Jonathan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I'm pretty sure I heard her voice on that interview, but I want to shout out my good buddy, one of the best programmers out there. I believe KJ Ralph Miller also conducted that interview. This is correct. Yes. And, and, and KJ does me make a brief, uh, brief cameo appearance at the, at the beginning on, uh, you know, audibly yep. uh, on, on the interview. Yes. Because it has to start off with hello, you know, it just, it <laughs> yeah. can't not. So, <laughs> so anyway, yes, KJ, KJ is a great friend and she's awesome. And she was there cause I couldn't be there. So she was there in, you know, in my stead and uh you know did the interview with daisy and i think it turned out yeah it turned out really well so yeah that's just one of the extras that you get on the party girl blu-ray well hell yeah all you kj heads it's on there (laughs) um does this mean now that you have good relations with daisy are we going to expect uh fun city editions of woo or uh one thing one one thing you have to know one thing you have to know need uh, woo 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 uh is that uh, uh, directors, actors, very rarely do they own the films that they made or appeared in. So I don't know who has Wu. I don't know what studio or what company produced it, but I'm pretty sure it, we wouldn't be able to get it directly from from Daisy. But okay. well. if she's into it and we had it, and she, I, I would, I, if she, I would expect that we probably could. We probably could have her back for a for an encore appearance. All right, yeah. woo heads rise up. Also, guru heads. Why love guru? Is it the guru or the love guru? I think it was the love guru. I love think. guru. Okay, well, I think she said that's the movie that put her in movie jail. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, what do you you know? <laughs> hey, swing for the. But you know what? Uh, like she's, <laughs> she's all these years later. She's come out smelling like a rose, and and love party it. girls having a revival on top of that. So just just honored. I'm just happy to be you know have a little have a little uh, part in that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Then uh then then go get Breathless when it's available again. Go get Party Girl now. And uh the one that you already told us about, go get that when that comes out. We know about it. You don't. <laughs> we have it on our radar though. So thanks for coming by. Once again, you you brought some class to our show. Thank you. You always do. Well, and information instead of me just like bitching <laughs> about the Barbie movie or something, you know, like that's what people would do normally. Well, thanks, thanks for uh, letting me air my some of my my um, obsession obsessions, I guess, in a, in a, in, a, in a healthy way. Getting to getting to talk about some of the stuff we got to talk about here in such a with such a uh, you know um, a uh, what would I say mutually. Um, 
You received me well. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Of course, we received you. I appreciate. Well. You. I appreciate you indulging me. And oh, it was fun. And we'll we'll um, be happy to do it again sometime. Yeah, and maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do a little something in person at some point here. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Either I come out and see you guys, or 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 you guys, uh, you know, come out come out east. Yep. We're, we're due for a vacation, so. Uh... And I'm sure you guys do that all together whenever, whenever possible. <laughs> no, his fiance does not go with him. I go with him. <laughs> well, anyway, Jonathan, uh, thanks for coming by. We'll talk we're to you soon. Couple <laughs> heartbreakers, yeah, right. these guys. That's yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> True. Yeah, we are. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>